I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. My guest for today is Ken Capobianco, and wait till you all hear his story. Ken struggled with anorexia nervosa for three decades and was never treated adequately because people did not associate eating disorders with men. So it's an incredible story. There's a lot to talk about. And I just, as always, think we should jump right in. Okay, here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am so excited to introduce our guest for today, Ken Capobianco. Ken, welcome to the show. Well, I'm very glad to be here, Karen, and uh, I look forward to having a good conversation about various different things. There's so much for us to talk about. Ken, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Professionally, I uh, I am a music critic and have been for the last 34 years. I, I've written, I write primarily for the Boston Globe, but I write for a, my various different um, publications. And uh, I also taught um, writing and literature at Northeastern University for 10, 15 years. Uh, and throughout that period of time, um, the last, uh, for 33 decades, I suffered from acute anorexia, um, which was uh, life-threatening. And um, I recovered, I'm recovered about uh, 14 years, I'd say fully recovered nine years and the other years were in the process of recovery. And uh, four years ago, about it'll be four years, I published uh, Call Me Anorexic, The Ballad of a Thin Man, in my novel, uh, which is, was a quasi-autobiographical novel, not a memoir, um, about my uh, years in, in, in my early 20s when my anorexia started spiraling out of control when I lived with a woman in Boston. And, um, and like I said, I, I've been recovered now for about 14 years, but uh, for three, 33 decades, it was a, a, a struggle. It was, you know, a very, 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 very difficult time. So uh, not only did you struggle for an extended period of time, and you said it was very difficult. One of the things I want to focus on, you and I were talking before the recording started, was how much more added difficulty and shame and maybe denial and non-support was there because you were a male with an eating disorder? And I also want to point out a male over 30 years ago with an eating disorder. I 
I had my eating disorder over 30 years ago, and I'm a woman, and there was minimal treatment. So now let's go to the timing that you had it and the fact that you're a male. So I'm just going to, I'm going to start there, Ken. Sure. I, I think it, it was extremely uh, difficult because I felt like I was in the wilderness. Uh, there was no help. Um, uh, for me, uh, when I was diagnosed probably when I was 22, but I had been uh, dealing with it since I was about 19. And uh, once I got diagnosed, I started going to you know libraries uh, I'm a big reader and uh, to see what I was dealing with and there was very little literature uh, and it was all about women um, and there was nothing on men so then when I went to get help for it no doctors had any idea how to deal with me um, and they they didn't know how to deal with anorexia period um, but they they really understood it as a, a woman's illness and so they just plied me with drugs. They gave me drugs, a lot of drugs. And um, I, there, was no, uh, there was no therapy. Um, and they didn't, they, they were confused. How, how can a man have it? You know, how can a man have it? And I, I, was, uh, I was, I had no, at that time, you know, all the uh, kind of pop culture representation was women. You know, I mean, my mom would be sending me uh, stories on Karen Carpenter and things like that. Um, it was at, at that time, and we're, we're talking early 80s. We're talking early 80s. I started in, in the late 70s. I started, uh, you know, um, getting, losing weight and, and suffering from anorexia. So it, 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 at that time, there was no help for me. And, um, and as I progressed through the years, there's still, people still didn't understand. And then as I look for, um, you know, eating disorder programs, many times I was told I can't join because I was a man and they didn't want to mix man and women. No, and I, I understood there was, uh, um, you know, a conflict between you know, it's about your bodies. You're talking about your bodies. You're talking about your sexuality. You're talking about all those things. So I understood um, the uh, the problem that uh, they were encountering in keeping me out. But I was lost. I was I was getting losing weight and losing weight and getting uh, thinner and thinner, and I had no help. So it was very hard. And, and they kept saying, well, you're a man. And then I'd go see a doctor and they'd say, oh, you're a man. It, it, was, it was a struggle. And there, there, I did not find a doctor who helped me until I was about 41 years old, about 41 years old. So we were talking from 19 to 41. I, I, and he was a male eating disorder specialist. And, and he helped me a, a great deal. Um, but other than that, I, I flirted, I flitted from um, one doctor to another doctor because no one was, no one was getting, digging, deep, digging into the psyche of, of my psyche, you know? They were, they were dealing, they were treating the illness. You know, the people who understood anorexia was treating the illness, not me. It's different, treat the patient, not the illness. And um, so it, it was. It was very problematic for me. I, I threw a lot of money away. <laughs>
come in too. I I I imagine money, time, um, you know, expectations. What people were were you know possibly saying it's you. You're going to all these treatments, and why aren't you getting better? But as you said, it wasn't catered to the individual. I'm also imagining at that time it was very female, uh, not eccentric, female. Um, oh, I'm so sorry, everybody. Female centric. Yes. So I was like eccentric. That's not right. Meaning like, you know, were they talking to you a lot about issues that don't apply to men? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's an anecdote that's actually made it into my book is, is one doctor said uh, he was just taking notes and he said to me, are you still menstruating? And, and I was like, okay, you're not quite paying attention. Um, you're not really listening. Uh, do, you, do you see who I am? You know, um, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, this, this just isn't working, you know, because he, uh, the, the, he had the beads. He had the, he had the boxes he was checking um, that he would probably ask a woman or he had his woman patient before, beforehand. And, um, and this, this was a recurring theme, though, that um, they just couldn't understand the male psyche, you know, and, and, and the problem for me was, again, in, uh, in the world in general, there was no, uh, there was no roadmap for what I was going through, because uh, there is, first of all, there's no real pop culture representation of uh, one of, of anorexia um, that I think is, is good and certainly no, no male um, anorexia. And I never, I've never seen uh, a pop culture representation of uh, a man with an eating disorder, I, you know, other than the machinist with Christian Bale. And, um, it's, and but they attribute that to one one piece of trauma in his life, you know, and that's not really how it works. It's a confluence of issues, you know, you know, you know, anorexia, what I experienced was a confluence of issues. So do you mind sharing with listeners some of the things that went into the manifestation of the eating disorder? Because I'm imagining there are people out there, whether they're loved ones or people that are suffering, that are thinking, I, you know, what, what were some of the things that went into it? Because we always like to, we, we like to be represented, I guess. We like to know that there's someone else out there that, that has shared our experience. And so what went into it? And, and I know this is like a big question. What, what did you do from 19 to 40 with no treatment? Because Ken, your anorexia nervosa was pretty extreme. You had some extreme medical complications, you know. Well, I had a stroke. I mean, I ended up having a stroke, you know, I mean, I ended up having a stroke. So, I mean, it was a massive stroke too. Um, so, um, well, for me, I mean, if, if you're asking what my issues were, my issues were uh, a, a, I wanted to be, I, the, the striving for perfection, you know, I mean, I got my master's degree very young and I, I expected I expected to be a great American novelist by the time I was third. And I, um, uh, and I got caught up uh, 
struggling uh, to get a job. I, 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 we're talking now, we're talking 1983, 84, the Reagan recession. I struggled to get a job and uh, things, and, I, and what happened is also I, I moved in, I made the mistake of moving in with a woman um, and uh, I felt trapped. At that moment, I felt trapped. I felt I was becoming my parents. And, um, and it was nothing I wanted. And uh, this wasn't the, the life I imagined in my head. And that really forced me to kind of disappear, want to disappear from life. Now, but that's, only, you know, so it, part of it also, you know, our words, obviously, which, you know, re probably resonates with everybody who's ever had an eating disorder is control control issues. I had, I, I just, um, I wanted to, I felt the world was out of, my world was out of control. And the only way I could control my life, um, you know, I, I don't believe in God. I, I, I see the world as a chaotic universe. And so I, a way I control things was by controlling my food intake. Um, and also the, the other thing that compounded was uh, uh, my situation was I uh, conflated uh, food with sexuality, indulgence, and and um, that was uh, um, you know a problem for me. And because and what happens, I I, sh I shut it down because I thought I'd be out of control. You know, I thought uh, being out of control um, with food was the same thing as being out of control sexually. And so I just said, okay, this, this scares me. And, 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 and that, that really led to me just completely spiraling out, spiraling into a, in, down the rabbit hole. And that's, that's, that's what got me into trouble. It reminds me a little bit of, you know, one of the many things that went into my eating disorder is I had intimacy fears. And so for me, I didn't want to look like a woman, I didn't want to look sexual. I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to attract anybody else because I was so, so I made myself look like a child in my eating disorder. I, I didn't look like anything. And so, and, and these are things that, by the way, I didn't realize until long into my recovery process. It is really powerful what the brain will do for emotional survival. And, and, we're unaware sometimes. And, and this is why I'm wondering, what did you do from 19 to 40? Because unless you have a good treatment team, a good therapist, a good support, how did you, how did you figure any of these things out? I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I, I, I didn't eat. I mean, the reality was I just didn't eat. Uh, I, I did not eat during the day. I, 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 how I'm alive. Let me put it this way. How I am alive is a question that not too many people can answer. So the thing was, I just floated through life. Now, what helped was I was a working writer. I was a working writer and I was a, uh, you know, I was a teacher. And so I channeled all my energies into my work. And it was work, you know, work was my whole life. And then I found catharsis by going into clubs. 
And so, uh, you know, the music, and it's a cliche to say music saved me, but it did because I felt um, alive. I, I felt dead during the day. You know, I felt, I felt I was emotionally exhausted. I was physically exhausted. And then I just go to the clubs and I, I, there was, there was catharsis in that loud, loud, loud music. I loved loud music. I still do. You know, I don't go in clubs as much as I did, but, uh, but so I, 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 I just maintained, I just maintained life. Nobody, no, I got no help, no help at all. Really. I mean, I, every doctor was failing me. You know, uh, so it was tough. I, I have a question, and, and I, I, I love it when you say music saved your life. Is there something, though, or is there anything about the music industry that added to the eating disorder? Because back then, rock stars, and, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to label rock stars, and I don't mean to put everybody into one clump, but they were pretty emaciated, actually. When I back on rock stars from the 80s and the 70s, they were. So did that add to it? Oh, that's the paradigm. I think, I think that's, that's part of how it be, began, though. I mean, that's how part of how it began, is that my idols were the rock stars. I wanted to look like that. And also, I noticed that, uh, you know, uh, uh, that a lot of, the, I mean, all the rock stars got all the women. So for me to get women, you know, I'm a heterosexual male. So uh, and for me to get women, I had to look like the rock stars. And so you be, that means be looking like Mick Jagger, looking like Iggy Pop, uh, you know. And, and so, so uh, but, but in later on in life, no, actually, um, you know, I just fit into the rock scene. So nobody knew I was anorexic I, because they just thought I was just a, a rock and roller, um, you know, a, a meth head. You know? They, they just thought I was just another, you know, ghostly looking. Nobody uh, said, you know, I mean, everybody said, Ken, you're really thin. And, I, and they said, everybody around me was thin. You know, every rock, every girl, every woman, Every woman, you know, uh, was, you know, the girls in the clubs, they were all thin and they may have been on drugs. They may have been, they may have had eating disorders. I mean, I know a lot of did because I talked to them in the clubs. You know, they, they, they somehow gravitated. I think they understood me. I think they understood that I had a problem and I talked to them. So, you know, it, so that masked my illness. I never came out. I didn't talk about my illness. I didn't talk about it until... 2018, when I published my book, I, I never told anybody. I mean, I had my close friends, my family knew. That's it. What was it then, do you feel? And and I know for myself and many clients that I work with, there's never one thing. But what started to shift it towards recovery? Because all I'm hearing is a lot of stuckness. You know what I mean? There was I the, the stroke which I had at 45, uh, you know, ruined my life, uh, but it also saved my life. Let me put it that way. Because what the stroke did, I remember being in, in, in the hospital after the stroke, I couldn't feel the left side of my body. I couldn't walk. I was a child again. And what it did was puncture. I had gone through life believing I was invincible. 
and the stroke punctured the air of invincibility. Uh, with anorexia comes this, you know, this superhero thing. Nothing is going to get me. My and everything my doctors told me, my two, I had two psychiatrists. They kept telling me, Ken, you can't go on this way. You will, your body will fail. And when I realized, okay, everything they told me, because I, I kept saying, I'm be, I'm fine. I was the, I was the starving artist. I was the, the, you know, the starving man you know, of the Avengers. I was the starving man. And, uh, and I realized this, every, all oh, that, that whole, the whole lattice work of delusion had crumbled. You know, the invincibility crumbled and I was left in the rubble. I, I, and so that was the, that was the key thing that made me see what I was doing differently. And, and now that didn't stop me from restricting, I will say this, because I thought it would, but then my mom died a year later and, uh, and grief causes you to do stupid things. You know I mean? It causes you to do irrational things. And I started, after I recovered, started recovering, I, um, I started restricting again. And then once my mom died uh, and, I, and I realized, okay, I'm gonna die. I, if, I, if I restrict, I'm going to die. And I have to, I ha I have to make a choice here. What do I do? And that, that's, that's how, I, that's how I, I began recovery. Do you mind sharing with listeners? Now, I know that you can never, I'm going to use the term scare clients or people or humans. You can't scare them to get better. I know people told me all the time about the medical complications I was, you know, staring at by staying in my eating disorder. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell it to someone else. It's not going to happen to me. So I, I know it doesn't, it doesn't hold a lot. I, I don't think people understand that, A, you can even get a stroke from an eating disorder and the severity of what it does to you. Do you mind sharing with listeners about the stroke and, and what it was sure. like recovering from that? Sure. That was brutal. That was that was the most difficult thing I've ever done. Um, you know, then came recovering from the eating disorder. But recovering from the stroke was I, I had to relearn how to walk. I had to relearn how to use I couldn't use my left hand, um, and uh, I couldn't. I, 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 it was it was humiliating because um, you know I had people take me to the to the bathroom. I had people give me showers, um, but but I lost really. Uh, you know, I mean, I still have nerve damage in my my, my left arm, my left my, my left leg. You know, um, uh, I, and I get around and I walk and, and I'm okay, but I can't do the things. It's, it took everything away from me. All the things I love to do, play basketball, play tennis, run. I mean, I was a, I was a runner for, you know, when I was suffering from anorexia, if you can believe this or not, I used to run miles, you know? So um, it, it took all those things away from me. And, but the, the, the stroke itself, you know, my head was throbbing. And these are the physical things, but the psychological things, because you think your life is over. You, you really think, okay, if I survive this, what kind of life will I have? And the doctors came in and they said, listen, 
just work on recovery and, and you will you will um you will slowly you know get your life back but it's it's devastating and i think people have to need to understand that the body can only sustain so much starvation and you know i see a lot of uh, i'm on instagram and and I got on because I wanted some of books. Otherwise, I would never be on because I find it a dangerous platform. To be honest with you, I mean, obviously, there's helpful, very helpful. Obviously, you're on, you help, and there's so many Emily program, and there's so many people who are very helpful. But uh, there, are, I see so many people sharing dangerous information and then their diets and the things like that. And um, I I don't think they understand when they talk about what they're eating. And the low calories they're eating, and what they, you know, how much they hate life. What, what could happen to them? And they just don't understand the magnitude. And and then and, and again, you say you can't scare people straight, but I think they need to hear. It is possible because I never thought it would happen to me, and it happened, and it changed my life. I. I, I think listeners have heard me say this before. I I was told, my parents were told, you know, Karen's going to be walking down Commonwealth Avenue. She's going to have a heart attack and drop dead. My parents are crying and I'm like, oh God, come on. They're, she's being dramatic. Dramatic. Yeah. And at one, and, and I was back at my parents' house to recover and I was in bed one night and I woke up at like three in the morning and I, I literally felt like I had a, a boulder on my chest. And I thought, oh, my God, they're right. And I remember I couldn't lift my arm to pound on the door. And I thought on the wall and I thought, I am literally going to die from going on a diet because this is where my diet took me. And of course, I said, Ken, if I make it through, I will never do this again. I'm done with the eating disorder. What do you think happens? I woke up in the morning. You went back. I have no, yeah. I had no other way of, of navigating through the stress of thinking I had almost died during the night, but to restrict and exercise. And I had no other coping skills. And so that's why I'm saying medical complications, they don't scare people straight, but I think there's they're important to be told these things that could potentially happen. Exactly. And and because the thing is. As you say, you 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 think you're bulletproof. You you just think nothing is going to happen to me. That's what happens to other people. But when you if you keep hearing other people talk about what they went through, and, and this is something I try to express in my book, um, is is the physical toll it takes on the narrator Michael. Um, and I wanted to make that palpable because. He he's, he deals with real with suffering, um, and 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 it's all I remember. Let me put it this way: all I remember when I was, uh, I mean, I should have seen this coming because I remember I, I lived on the third floor in uh, my apart my apartment was in third floor in Boston, and uh, there were some nights that the elevator didn't work. And I used to say to myself, okay, I got to climb three floors and I'm not sure I'm going to make it up those floors. I, this might be my last, this is my last, this might be my last steps on earth. And I would say to myself, um, just go up one step at a time. And I was, I would go up one step and say, I'm still here. Next step, 
still here. And then I would get up and I'd say, oh, wow, I made it. And, but I would never eat. You know, I, it, it just, uh, you know, I, I, there was, there were points in my life. I was so weak that I, I, I just couldn't do things. Do you mind me asking why the book is fictional as opposed to autobiographical? Two, two reasons. One, and I've, I've, I've taught this to a few people. One, my story, people would not get through because my life was so harrowing. I mean, honestly, it was, um, there was no narrative arc. It was, there would be no narrative arc. It would just be repetition, 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 followed by me going to clubs. And so I couldn't figure out that story. And, and, I, and also, I didn't think my story, that story was enough. So what I wanted to do was create a novel uh, in which I could capture the anorexic experience and tell a larger story um, about family and, um, and, and uh, about Michael's and it's not really a root. It's not like a uh, Michael becomes uh, the narrator is called Michael, and it's not really he, oh he becomes all he's all happy and, and thrilled. It's his you know slouching towards Bethlehem. You know it's him struggling towards getting there. Um, and but I wanted to tell a bigger story um, than just about his Eric's. You know it, there's a lot of pop culture references, and it's to me I also wanted to write a literary novel to be honest with you. And that was my way in. And, and I, but again, my story, Ken, Ken's story, and I don't really talk in third person, but my story would be so dark, dark. How could people get through this story without saying, my God, I can't, I can't read this book because my life was dark. I felt the same way in my eating disorder, when I reflect back, my life was very, very, very dark. I will say that's why I moved to the sunshine. Yeah, that's why you're in California. California, that's right, that's right. So I'm, I live in California now because I needed light. I also want to say I moved to California for 17 years while I was at the, towards the moving into full recovery, I moved to California. Now, listeners have also heard me say, Moving somewhere does not does not help you. Is not what recover you carry your baggage with. Yes. Oh my goodness! I still had thoughts, and I still had some behaviors, and I still. Um, but it is interesting. I mean, some souls need to be in more light and warmer climate and things like that. I remember how depressed I was when I was in my eating disorder. When the winters came. I, first of all, I'd never felt a cold like that in my life because I was so malnourished. I was so, I was so isolated that the wind would like whip through me, you know? And it's interesting because we were also talking before we went on this on air, which is now I love the winters. Like I, I, you know, I'm back here. I'm healthy. I'm, I'm, I'm living a full life, which comes with its ups and downs, but at the end of the day, I love the winter. So it's, it, it, your whole body sort of determines, it's almost like your body is going through certain seasons. Yeah. I will say this though. Um, what I discovered when I came out here, um, when I moved to the beach, I live on the beach, um, is 
I find I, I started discovering things that I never saw when I lived in Boston uh, and it was dark and it, my, you know, it just, it just seemed oppressive to me. Um, and uh, I discovered colors out here. All of a sudden I started seeing trees, you know, I mean, colorful trees, you know, in the beach. And I, I go out to the beach every day to relax. It was calming. It, 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 and I'm, I'm not, I'm not a yoga guy. I'm not a, a meditation guy, you know, but to me, sitting on the beach, reading a novel, um, it, it, it brought peace of mind. And also, it, when I was in Boston, everybody's in their apartment. Everybody's closed off. They don't go out. It, here, everybody's out. You know, you meet people. My, you know, the courtyard, people, I sit outside by the beach. People come over to me. Hello, hello, how are you? And you engage in those connections. Those, those connections are what connect us to life. And when you're isolated, you're not connected. To me, connection is the most important thing that helped me recover. Connecting with friends, other people, eat, beginning to eat with friends, meeting women again, you know, uh, connecting with women and, and, and doing all the things that I pushed people away while I was, at, while I was uh, you know, dealing with the eating disorder. You, what you you are constantly pushing people away because you don't want to let them in your world because your world is secret. And for me, uh, when I came out here, you know, I'm sit, I sit out at a barbecue table and people just come up to me and talk to me. You know, and this was this was this was magnificent. I, I'm I'm a very gregarious person. I'm uh, you know a lot of people are introverts. Um, who have who struggle with eating disorders, but I'm a very, I love people, you know. It was it was it was the anorexia was counter to my personality. All of a sudden, I I, saw, I said, who is this person who's not going out? You know, I mean, you know, just going out to clubs, but it's anonymous, you know. So often, what people are striving towards, what they think they're going to get from their eating disorder is what they want, but they're afraid of doing it authentically from their self. They don't have enough sense of self. They don't have enough confidence. So, you know, they want the connections. They want to be able to sit on the beach and meet people and read a book and all this stuff, but they don't have the confidence to do it. So they think the eating disorder might be a way to to make them look differently or and and by the way this is talking about anorexia nervosa let's not also forget that there's bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorder and you know arfid i mean there's many many other disorders but for the sake of this conversation you know most people and again i use the word most sorry want the antithesis of what the eating disorder provides cuz the eating disorder only provides isolation loneliness Sadness. Sadness. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I need those connections. I, I, I really do believe, you know, I'm married now. Um, I'm married uh, in something I never thought I would do. Um, I, first of all, I didn't really ever want to get married, but um, also the anorexia took away my connections with women, you know, because it, it was very difficult to, to sustain a relationship if you don't leave. It's impossible. Um, you know, you, you can get 
involved with women, but you can't sustain a relationship. And so, um, you know, I, I sought out connections. Let me put it that way. I, when I first moved out here, I started looking for people to meet and things like that. Because I, like I said, I, first of all, I talk too much, but <laughs> I, I enjoy people. I, I really do. So, you know, I find it sustaining. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't your wife a chef? Yes. Okay. That is correct. So let's talk a little bit about that. So here you are having anorexia for 20 years and you or, or longer for 30 years. And then you meet the love of your life who lives her life around creating food and making it so what was that like uh that was uh it was bizarre i i I thought okay this cannot possibly work you know and um uh she invited me to her restaurant and i was uh when i met her i will say this i was i was i was recovered i mean i i i i had gotten to the point where food was not an issue anymore and i would be able to eat uh, without a problem and i and i wasn't obsessing about food but uh i met her and we just connected and she uh you know she would cook me a lot of food i mean uh, it was you know when i first met her she came over my place and she made like a nine course dinner you know like and it was just fantastic thai food and i just said listen i, I can't eat all this stuff i mean it was just impossible it was a, but you know and then i t- i told her about my past and um and she was like okay well that's past you're eating now with me that's that's fine it's just part of our lives you know she loves to cook she does her thing she says try this you know some things that i will try even some of it's very spicy i can't you know i I, um i have an ulcer and so you know really spicy she knows to take the spices out and like that so it's it worked and amazingly it worked but i mean who, that's like a story out of like an O. Henry, the old iron, irony books, you know? Well, it's it's also interesting that she, and I don't want to speak for her, but is showing love through food. First by presenting it to you as a way, I'm going to say to impress, then honoring your ulcer so she removes spices when she's making food for you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this is where, where, Food has has such a beautiful place in our lives when you don't have an eating disorder or you're recovered. I mean, it's it's just it's so fascinating. And you realize how much you have missed, though. I mean, that's the thing is when when all of a sudden when I started, you know, you know, spending time with her, you know, or or, or the women before when I was sharing food. But when, when you know, when I saw how much love she gives in her food that's part of her personality is to cook and and, to, and give love sharing food is an intimate very integral part of our lives because that's how we commune how we connect um you know and so and that was such an important thing for me was after 30 years to connect with my friends my, my lifelong friends because i have two lifelong friends out here who moved out here before me that I knew since I was in high school and I never ate with them, never ate with them, uh, you know, not once. And then finally, when I recovered, 
and I ate with them, it was a transformative experience for me and for them to say, listen, I've been waiting for 30 years to see this, you know. It was, it was, that was a very, very profound moment in my recovery. Yeah. I, I, I can only imagine. I, I know this might sound like an odd question and it's sort of in a different direction, but it sounds like your wife is, was very non-judgmental, sympathetic, compassionate towards your situation. Were there times when it wasn't met with that because it's so, it, men don't talk about eating disorders. By the way, I want everyone to know that there are more men out there struggling than are reported because of shame of, of trying to get help for an eating disorder. So can I, can I just say, I will, I will just add this before I answer your question about, you know, uh, was I rebuked or was I ghosted by women, (laughs) you know, but I was that, um, when I wrote the book, I received, I discovered that there are hundreds and hundreds and I can't tell you how many men reached out to me to tell me that, okay, I can't, you're saying what I can't say because, um, you know, I, I'm just ashamed. I'm just ashamed of what's going on in my life, what I'm, what's happening. Uh, and, you know, um, it, it's impossible for me to talk about because people think, you know, and they, for, for straight guys, um, they think, you know, uh, it, it's effeminate. You know, people think, oh, you're effeminate. And but the thing was, I had so many people say to you, you're telling my story that I can't tell. But yes, I, I mean, there were many women, you know, who when I first moved out here and I started dating again. Um, now, if I got into involved with them, I, I actually didn't tell them. If I got in deeper, I would tell them and they were like, whoa. And that was it. You know, they would, and, and we don't, we don't want to think that people would, re, women would react that way, but they think, okay, this guy's got baggage. This, this guy's got baggage. I got to stay away from that. And, you know, let me, put, let me just say this. If I wasn't married, this is a question I always ask myself. If I wasn't married, I struggle to think, you know, would I ever date again? I don't know. You know, what, what would, how would that go? You know, if you're, I'm a single guy and I'm looking to date women uh, and they see, you know, he's, he, he's, he's anorexic. He was anorexic. I don't know. I don't want to get involved with that. So uh, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a good question. Ken, it, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you before we start to wind the episode down? No, I, I would say, I would say, I just think it's important for men to understand that um, uh, it's, they, they need, first of all, they need to get into therapy. I mean, you know, if, if you're struggling with eating disorder, the, the fear is um, that if you come forward, people are going to judge you. And I think it's very, very important for men to get into therapy and find an, an eating disorder specialist um, who understands men, uh, because I think that's crucial. And uh, because it, I do believe there's a difference and also treats the, you as a person, because that's what got me, that's what helped me recover. 
Um, I needed practical, real down to earth uh, therapy. You know, I couldn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to draw rainbows. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to talk to, I didn't want to call him Ed. I, I didn't want to call him E.D. Ed. You know, I didn't want to infantilize. I needed, this is Ken, hard, hard to dig into your psyche. So I think men need to, and don't worry about what other people think. Save your life. That's, that's, that's what I think it's a very important thing for men to understand. Ken, I, I can't thank you enough. Like I said, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate being here. And uh, thank you for giving me a forum because, uh, you know, I, having uh, someone like me, an older, an older guy, you know, it's, it's not really, um, it's not really done too often. So, you know, I mean, uh, so I thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I'm glad. I'm, I'm so glad that we connected. So, all right, everyone, that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at recoverybitespod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast signup to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.